keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Monday, November 20th, 2023. The Feast of St. Felix of Valois. St. Felix was born in 1126. He was a member of the royal family of France, or one might say France. He was the grandson of King Henry I, and his mother had a vision during pregnancy, seeing the child Jesus holding a cross and another child holding a crown of flowers. Now, she immediately was able to identify the latter child as her son. Now, Felix became a crusader, and during the Crusades, he fought with great valor, known for his bravery and courage. And one day, the king fell from his horse and died. And Felix ran up to the king, invoking the Holy Trinity, commanded the king to arise, and instantly he recovered. Now, Felix, being a great and virtuous crusader, fighting in battle, also maintained an austere Cistercian religious life while in the military quarters. At this time, he was not yet a religious, though. Now, despite being close heir to the throne, Felix, upon returning to Paris, exchanged the royal symbol of the fleur de lis for the cross, becoming a hermit in dedication to God. This confirmed the vision that his mother had as a child or in while he was in the womb as he embraced religious life. Now, one day, St. John of Matha sought out St. Felix's advice on founding the Order of the Trinitarians for the redemption of Catholic captives. Felix agreed to not just assist him in giving him advice, but ended up joining him in establishing this order. Now, it's important to note how horrific being a slave to the Muslims was, especially during this time. Now, the Mohammedans feared little when being captured by Catholics because, except for a few rare exceptions, the Catholics in Europe had banned slavery. Slavery was already not allowed. Of course, they did have prisoners of war, but they were treated with respect. On the contrary, if Catholic warriors fell prisoner, they knew that they would be reduced to slavery and treated atrociously. It was not rare, for example, for the Muslims to cut out the eyes of Catholic prisoners to prevent them from escaping. They would give them jobs that were meant for brood animals, such as pulling ships out of the water to be repaired, without the danger that they might run away. Other times, the Moors would morally and physically abuse nobles and important men. And finally, and worst of all, they would corrupt the faith of those Catholics and use every means possible to make them apostatize and become Mohammedans. So the condition of the captives was miserable from many points of view. This compassion for Catholic captives inspired expeditions and almsgiving for the liberation, and God rose up and order the Trinitarian order to address this pressing need, as he does in every time. Now, you can also see the parallel here to times of our own, where we see Catholics in different situations all over the world, whether it be under Muslim rule 
or be under communist rule. And Professor Plinio, when he commented on this saint of the day, he remembered back whenever he was in Rome for the first session of Vatican II, he said that he became aware of the fact that there was a whole Catholic Russian network in the catacomb church that ran all kinds of risk in order to keep Rome well informed about the latest activities of the communists. But when John the 23rd invited the schismatics of Moscow to be observers of the council, the Vatican told this network to close down, which must have been a great trial for the Catholics in Russia. So what do we ask for from St. Felix of Valois on his feast day? Well, let's ask St. Felix, who offered his life to save his brothers in the faith, to help us not to let this mentality conquer us. Let us ask him to help those Catholics to continue to be faithful, even when their fathers and their hierarchy and their clerics don't do so with them. Let's help and ask them to pray, St. Felix, to pray that they never stop fighting for their faith. St. Felix, pray Pray for for us. us. Good morning. Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. I, I know it's early. I don't want to be so controversial straight off off the cuff, but uh, Cistercians, it's certified. They have the best habits. Whoa. <laughs> what? I knew it. I Not knew allowed. I was going to trigger you. Not I knew allowed. it. What? Uh, yeah. That is, a, that is a, what you just said there is literally illegal. That is literally, <laughs> you're not allowed to say those words. We, I don't believe in freedom of speech here. You're not allowed to express incorrect opinions like Cistercians have the best habits. They do. Pass. Obviously, the best habits are the order of preachers. Clearly. Mm. I don't know where else. Who else could possibly compete? Definitely not the Cistercians. The Cistercians are pretty cool, though. Uh, The Cistercians are pretty austere. But, I mean, think about it, Rudy. St. Felix... He ended up becoming a Trinitarian. And that just, that just tells you the Cistercians weren't good enough for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, praise be to God. You know, God raises up different orders in different times to solve different problems. Mm-hmm. And they all serve a very important role. Even though the Dominicans are the best, everyone else can compete for second place. That's okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, the other thing that was interesting was his story reminded me of the situation with the communist uh, Catholic, the Catholics in communist China. It's a very, very similar situation from the Russia Catholic situation that was happening in the 1960s. So something to pray for. But speaking of things to pray for, at 15 past the hour, I have good news and bad news out of Texas today. Ah, Texas, Texas, Texas. We're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch will be joining us to talk about uh, Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Perhaps you heard about it. It was, I think, 20 years ago, and now it's becoming mainstream topic again. Very, very strange. We'll talk about that at 30 past the hour. In the next hour, I want to talk to you about the chastisement. So we're going to talk about that coming up in the next hour. Uh, plus our fear and trembling game show. All this coming up on Catholic Drive Time. So you're not going to want to miss it. Also for fear and trembling, here's a pro tip. We have Thanksgiving this week. So there's going to be days off, which means the chances of you winning are even higher. So get ready to play that game this week. So let's begin with prayer. 
We're going to be praying for your intentions, as is our custom. We're going to pray for the salvation of souls, liberty, and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We're going to pray for my grandfather, who's suffering from many, many illnesses and sicknesses. Um, some people misinterpreted me to say that my grandfather died. No, he's still alive. Uh, please pray for his recovery. Um, I can see why you get confused. We're praying for the holy souls in purgatory, and I mentioned my grandfather. So, totally understand why you're confused, but no, the reports of his death are highly exaggerated. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace, amen. O Lord, who art ever merciful and bounteous with thy gifts, look down upon the suffering souls in purgatory. Remember not their offenses and negligences, but be mindful of thy loving mercy, which is from all eternity. Cleanse them of their sin to fulfill their ardent desires that they may be made worthy to behold thee face to face in thy glory. May they soon be united with thee and hear those blessed words which will call them to their heavenly home. Come, blessed my father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, and union with the masses set throughout the world today for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church and those in my own home, and within my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here are some of your breaking news and headlines this morning. The Texas House votes to remove school vouchers from a massive education bill. The Texas House voted 84 to 63 to remove school vouchers from a major education funding bill, a blow to Governor Greg Abbott's priorities. The amendment, proposed by Representative John Rainey, was supported by 21 Republicans and all Democrats. The future of the $7 billion omnibus bill, which increases public school spending but was centered on vouchers, is uncertain. But Abbott has voted to veto any education bill without vouchers. We'll cover a little bit more of this story in just a few moments. And the AP reports Methodist Church approves split of 261 Georgia congregations after LGBT divide. The North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church voted to allow 261 congregations to break from the denomination amid a schism over theological differences and the role of LGBT people in the church. The United Methodist Church has long debated its bans on same-sex, so-called marriages, and the ordination of openly LGBT clergy. The denomination forbids the marriage or ordination of self-avowed practicing homosexuals, but some U.S. churches and uh, clergy have defied the bans. Many conservatives have chosen to leave amid a growing defiance of those bans. And Catholic News Agency reports anti-Christian hate crimes in Europe are up 44% in the past year, a watchdog group says. Anti-Christian crimes in Europe have surged 44% over the past year, according to a Vienna-based observatory on intolerance and discrimination against Christians in Europe. The annual report highlights a connection to rising extremist motivation and increased acceptance of church targeting. Arson attacks on churches rose by 75%, while legal discrimination against Christians expressing traditional views also occurred. Germany, Italy, France, Spain, and Poland topped the list of countries with the highest anti-Christian hate crimes. The group documented 748 incidents in 30 countries, aligning closely with the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe's findings. Those are some of your headlines this morning, uh, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. We have a couple more stories we want to cover. 
The gospel today comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. Now, this is where our Lord draws to Jericho and sees a blind man on the wayside begging. And the blind man says, son of David, have mercy on me. And our Lord heals his sight. I recommend reading the entire passage, but a number of things that are very important to keep in mind. There was kind of the debate among the scholars on how many blind men were here. Here in the Gospel of Luke, there is reported a blind man, while the others have two. Now, Cornelius Lapide commenting on this said that the reason why Luke only points out one is because in reality, there were in fact two, but one was actually a famous man who was wealthy and very important. And then he actually lost his sight. And so he would have been someone that people would have recognized, would have known. And so his story would have been told more frequently apart from the second guy. So allegorically, Origen and St. Ambrose say that the two blind men were Judah and Israel, who before the coming of Christ were blind because they saw not the true word, which was contained in the law and the prophets. Augustine says that they were the Jews and the Gentiles, for they both were ignorant of the way of salvation. Tropologically, by the two blind men, we may understand the twofold blindness of the affections and of understanding. You think about St. Thomas praying for a cleansing, a healing of our double darkness in which we have been born in obscurity of sin and ignorance. And so this is something we should pray for and ask Christ to heal us, get rid of our obscurity of sin and ignorance. Morally, Augustine says, every Christian who has begun to live well and to despise the world at the commencement of his new life has to endure the censures of cold Christians. But if he perseveres, those who at first hindered him will soon comply. The fear of man then must be overcome by one who wishes to serve God. The first virtue of a Christian is to despise and to be despised. Now, this is something you will not hear today. You think about the multitude rebuking, but the blind men cried out the more. And St. Augustine is telling us the fact that the multitude rebuked him and the fact that the blind man cried out more despite being rebuked shows us how we are to be. Because the cold Christians, as St. Augustine calls them, I would call them the lukewarm, they do not want you to be to have zeal for Christ. They don't want you to be on fire for the gospel. They want you to be lukewarm like them. But instead, have zeal, despise what is against God, and welcome being despised by those who hate God or who are lukewarm to him. And remember, with your zeal, eventually they soon will comply. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, religion can never depend on minute disputes about doctrine? G.K. Chesterton says that's like saying that life can never depend on minute disputes about medicine. Will the man who says we don't want theologians splitting hairs also say, we don't want surgeons splitting filaments more delicate than hairs? Many a man would be dead today if his doctors had not debated fine shades about doctoring. It's also a fact that Western civilization would be dead today if its doctors of divinity had not debated fine shades about doctrine. We depend on doctors of medicine. 
we can also depend on the doctors of the church. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be on with you today. It's good to be on with you on this beautiful Monday morning. You know, I was thinking during the break, and it's always dangerous thinking, especially during the break. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. During the break, I tried to shut my brain off for a second, just rest for about a minute and a half. And, um, you know... I was thinking about the song. You know that song um, that everybody likes to sing during Christmas time? That is uh, a complete, it's just a joke. It's just a joke Simply song. Simply having. How'd you know that was the Christmas one I was thinking time. about? No way. No, it's not. Really? No. <laughs> about I was Feliz think- Navidad. No. I was thinking of the punny joke, the song about um, the Batman and Robin. Uh, Joker lost his will, and uh, wait, Batman lost his will, and the Batmobile the, lost his will. And Joker got away to the tune of Jingle Bells. To the tune of Jingle Bells, exactly. <laughs> and why am I thinking about this? Because you know, imagine I was just thinking about what would happen if your the tire just like flew off as you're driving down the freeway. <laughs> you know, that would be horrible. It would be terrible, right? Especially since I just told you. <laughs> That I'm missing a lug nut on one of my wheels, and that's why I was thinking about that. Say that. (laughs) That's why I was thinking about that. (laughs) Hopefully not. But the good news is, you only need three lug nuts to hold your tire into place. Um, The other two are redundant, just to uh, make sure for a fact that that ain't going nowhere. And cut to scene of funeral. Rudy Carlos in the casket. (laughs) He's got his arms crossed like that. Open casket. Right there. Open casket. <laughs> and then Adrian's just weeping because he said that. Yeah. Be like, and I trusted him. I was like, well, <laughs> there you go, folks. It's over. Uh, but I was, I was thinking of it. So immediately when he said that, I was immediately thinking of the song from uh, from Batman and Ro- the Batman song. And I was like, huh, maybe you should get that fixed. A certified it's, classic for the kids. It's like uh, Jesus take the wheel, but not that one. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, folks. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, on to something more serious. So there is good news and bad news out of Texas. And I, I, Texas, what are you doing? So I will start off with this. Governor Abbott endorsed Donald Trump over the weekend. And I'm assuming this is the reason. So Texas passes bill allowing authorities to arrest migrants who illegally cross the U.S. southern border. On November 16, Texas passed SB4, granting local authorities the power to arrest migrants entering the U.S. illegally through the southern border. The bill allows for the arrest of illegal aliens, offering them an interpreter in a court appearance where they can choose to return to Mexico or face a Class B misdemeanor. Penalties for the misdemeanor include up to 180 days in jail or a $2,000 fine. Judges can order the removal of those who entered illegally. Repeat offenders may face felony charges and deportation. While concerns about duplicating federal laws have been raised, supporters 
argue that the bill aligns with federal regulation is cost-effective alternative to detaining migrants. Governor Abbott expected approval may trigger a constitutional battle as state governments claim authority and border defense. When the federal government falls short, critics argue the law is anti-immigrant and could lead to racial profiling. Okay, so that's the story. And Donald Trump came in and supported it. He went to go visit the border. And it seems like that Governor Abbott and Trump are basically saying that um, they haven't said this explicitly, but I'm kind of just reading between the lines. It seems like that Donald Trump is saying, hey, look, I'll support your bills. I'll support what you're doing down here in Texas. If I'm if you endorse me and if I'm elected, I won't come after you. Whereas the federal government under under Biden has continually come after Abbott in Texas because of us trying to enforce our border laws because yeah the border is in fact supposed to be done by the federal government so technically we are overstepping our bounds however when the federal government is not taking on its duty what are we supposed to do right just allow laws to be broken just not allow people to invade the country Um, what would you do if someone was trying to break into your house and the police were just like yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna help you so have fun. Also, you're not allowed to own guns. Also, you're not allowed to put a fence up. But um, we also will not be coming to your aid. Well, obviously, as a parent, as a father, as a mother, you would want to do something to protect your home, right? The same thing is here. And you may say, well, I may have to violate the law to protect my family. And that's kind of what Governor Abbott is saying. He's like, well, the federal law says this, but I need to protect my state. That is what I'm in charge of, and I'm, I'm going to do it. So that's kind of the good news out of Texas. I'm glad we are going to enforce our laws, and I'm glad we are going to try to put in order in Texas. That being said, now I got to talk about some bad news out of Texas. And this affects me less than it affects Rudy, so I'll let Rudy chime in on this a little bit. But here's the story. The Texas House of Representatives under Republican control, which is important to note, it's under Republican control because people are always like, Adrian, you're always coming after Democrats. What about Republicans? I'm like, I've never said that I am a Republican. I think Republicans are generally very cringe. I like them better than the Democrats typically, but they're pretty cringe as well. They rejected a school choice measure prompting disappointment from Governor Greg Abbott. The proposal for a Texas education savings account was removed from an omnibus education bill after an amendment by Republican Representative John Rainey passed 84 to 63 with 21 Republicans supporting it, citing concerns that it's being an entitlement program. House Public Education Committee Chairman Brad Buckle emphasized the chance to provide real options for vulnerable parents. Abbott expressed ongoing commitment to school choice, vowing to advance it in the legislature at the ballot box. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick criticized the decision, highlighting the Senate's prior support for school choice. Senator Ted Cruz urged primary challenges for Republicans voting against school choice, calling their actions shameful. Now, I want to give my thoughts on it in just a moment, but I want to get Rudy's take on this. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of figured it wasn't going to hit any sort of roadblocks. You know, I just didn't think it was going to be a big issue for a lot of these these uh, Republicans, I mean, you see in other uh, Republican strongholds, you know, different states in in in, uh, in the U.S. that things like this tend to pass without really any sort of roadblock. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see this. 
even more surprised to see that Republicans are actually taking issue with this. I mean, especially if you think about it from a conservative perspective, um, most of the pe- most of the people who are uh, uh, taking issue with a lot of the, uh, the things that are taking place in school, public schools, for instance, you know, like you uh, you see the. Uh, the parent-teacher conferences and people get together and talk about what's going on. It's mostly conservatives. So why wouldn't you want something to alleviate your concerns, like homeschooling? Right? I mean, it's a no-brainer. And uh, you know, sure, it increases the cost a little bit of public schooling, but you'll find that somewhere. I mean, you guys love to tax us, so why not? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? We already spend so much money in the schools. They're just like a lot of bloat. In the school system, especially in like the not in the ground day to day work, but in the corporate offices, Mm -hmm. I just get rid of some of those jobs, save a little bit of money, uh, shrink the way the bureaucracy works and maybe pull some money from other things that are kind of useless and maybe there'll be a little bit more money. Now, the thing that's really interesting, though, is why I guess I don't understand why they would want to do this. It's under Republican control. The, the Republican base tends to want school choice. And I'm thinking, so what is the incentive to not pass it? My guess is I would be wanting to look into what it was the, um, the school lobby, the teacher's lobby, and the public school lobby, what they're saying, the unions, how, how much influence they have over what just happened here. And I'm glad that that Governor Abbott said he's going to put it to the ballot box so then we can vote for it ourselves because I think overwhelmingly uh, Texan citizens desire to have this. It would do so much good to parochial schools as well because so many parents want to send their kids to private schools and cannot afford it. And so many my parents, I don't know if this is sharing too much, but uh, my parents took out loans to send me and my siblings to private school. Because private school is really expensive. I think my parents spent more money sending us to private school than I paid for college. Wow. Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure, I don't know, my, my parents probably be upset that I talk about this, but it's too late now. The, <laughs> the, uh, I'm pretty sure they're still paying off our student loans for, from high school. I think they, they're still paying off that cost because they sent myself, my little brother, my older sister to private school. And then my little sister homeschooled. And, I mean, it's a burden. It's a huge burden. But parents are, are recognizing, I don't want to send my kids to public school because they're going to be indoctrinated. They're going to be corrupted. They're going to be – and then it's just going to be overall bad. It's not good for them. You know, one of the things we don't talk about a lot is, you know, we blame a lot of the, the corruption on the, the school itself, the teachers. And, yeah, you know, they have a lot of influence. But we never, ever talk about the other – kids who attend the school. I'm not, I'm not going to like demonize the kids, but they do have a lot of times a very different kind of upbringing than we do. Uh, sometimes their parents are um, associated with them. Other times their parents are very distant from them. And we don't really know a lot of the relationships that they encounter. And that can be damaging to your children as well, depending on who they hang out with, uh, who has influence over their life or what trends are really happening in the school. You know, those kids may have a pretty negative impact on your on your kids' lives. So it, it is important for us to consider this this uh, this bill because it could help us 
to uh, to make homeschooling a reality, to really put our best foot forward with our children and maybe get them even a better education at home. Right. I mean, I think it's important, especially when we're talking about the rearing of children who has influence over them mm-hmm. because the your the peers, if they're at school, will be their influence. And so if you put them in a in a school at all, which I mean, I'm a huge advocate of homeschooling, but if you did send them to a school, you would want them to be around kids who you know their parents hold the same values as you. Mm-hmm. So their kids will be more likely to hold the similar values. And I think that's very important. And whereas if you send them to a public school, you have absolutely no idea what you're going to get. It we- could be a very wide range of things. Could be something great. Could be something terrible. Could be somewhere in between. Which, by the way, I speak from experience. That was my personal experience going to public school. All kinds of other kids there that I was influenced by and I reflect later on in life. I'm like, whoa, uh, there was something going on in that household, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, we just have to – And I like what Senator Cruz said. Uh, Cruz saying that we need to primary – the Republicans who came out against school choice. Mm, like, yeah. This is, I mean, we, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of our system of government, the way it's formatted. Uh, but one of the things that it's supposed to be built to do is that if the people in office who are not representing us or, or are supposed to be representing us are not representing us, then you vote them out, get rid of them, vote harder, vote. I was going to make a joke, but I don't want to get arrested. Because um, <laughs> that, that guy who made the joke about elections, he got thrown in jail. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to make a joke about like, oh, vote often and vote, uh, vote harder, vote more often, vote frequently. And I was like, you know, what? better not make that joke because they arrest people for that nowadays. So anyway, you have to say in Minecraft, in Minecraft, do that. Don't do it in real life, though. When we come back, Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch will be on with us talking about Osama bin Laden. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the encyclopedia, is meant for everybody, and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www. Dot Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rick Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. 
Now, this uh, headline, it might affect somebody you know, or maybe yourself, who knows? Soldiers booted for COVID jab refusal receive a letter on how to fix discharge records and rejoin the U.S. Army. The Army sent a letter to soldiers who had been involuntarily separated for refusal to receive the COVID-19 vaccination, advising them on how to correct their records after the rescission of all current COVID-19 vaccination requirements. The Army did away with all policies associated with the DOD COVID-19 vaccination mandate in February following the December 2022 rollback of the military jab mandate. The reversal was sparked by Republican congressmen who added a provision to the annual defense budget requiring the removal of the jab rule. Discussion in January concerning whether the military would provide back pay for fired soldiers ended with the Pentagon stating that it would not do so. And finally, Catholic leaders in Costa Rica oppose a bill forcing priests to break the seal of confession. This is a really concerning story. This is happening all over the world, actually. A group of Catholic leaders in Costa Rica, including Bishop Daniel Blanco, opposed a bill seeking to eliminate the sacramental seal of confession for sexual crimes against minors. Introduced on September 11th, the bill led the Costa Rican Bishops' Conference to express opposition, citing canon laws inviolability of the sacramental seal. In a webinar, Blanco emphasized the importance of the seal, stating that any attempt to breach it would violate the freedom of the church and religious freedom. Legal experts and clergy argued that the bill, if passed, would constitute a significant violation of human rights, the Constitution, and the Costa Rican law. Those are all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Joining us right now is Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer is with Jihad Watch, and we're going to talk about the situation coming out across social media among Generation Z, Gen Zers. And they have discovered for the first time this thing called the Letter to America from Osama bin Laden. Uh, Good morning to you, Robert Spencer. Adrian, how are you? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. I'm too blessed to be stressed, as a good friend might say. Now, Robert, before we get started, I want to play a clip of these Gen Zers responding to seeing the letter to America from Osama bin Laden for the first time. Now, for just some context, a lot of people, because I'm 25 years old, so I have no memory of 9-11, really. I was like two years old when it happened. And the situation with the with the letter, I didn't know it existed either. I never really knew it existed. This is the first time hearing about it. And it, But from my understanding, it's been public information for 20 years. Um, and so... This is a lot of people my age, 30 years old and younger, are probably just now hearing about anything like this for the first time. But their response seems completely inordinate. So we're going to play that clip. Uh, Let's play that clip right now. Insane, because this letter is so well written and so reasonably structured um, in an argument. Like you got to present your findings. You got to, you know, you got to state your cause, all that. Like everything he said was valid. This morning, I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think, because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. And a lot of people are. 
So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read A Letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So go read it and tell me what you think because I really also need to talk to other people about this. And actually, before you even read the letter, I did want to mention, in reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. So this is f***ing insane. I just read Osama bin Laden's letter to America, which I will be going through right here, but it's actually so mind me that terrorism has been sold as this idea to the american people and honestly just so many western inhabitants within certain nations it becomes apparent to me that the actions of 9 11 and those acts committed against the usa and its people were all just the buildup of our government failing other nations all right we can cut it there now Robert, this is a very, very concerning to see so many people react in this way and seemingly agree with a guy who flew planes into buildings. Uh, Robert, what's your reaction to this? Well, you know, uh, it's a funny thing. It's kind of ironic because uh, in all those years since he wrote it in 2002, I actually have called attention to it repeatedly. And, of course, the same people who we just heard from would have denounced what I was saying as Islamophobic and so on. It just shows the power of propaganda. These are uh, young people who have heard all their lives in school about how terrible America is and how terrible the West is and uh, everything that the West stands for, the Judeo-Christian tradition and the whole, all the rest of it. And so it's not surprising that they would find this message from bin Laden and look at it positively, because what he's trying to do is situate the 9-11 attack in the context of what is known as, as def- what is known as defensive jihad, which is uh, the only kind of jihad that's allowed in Islamic theology if there's not a caliphate. And of course, there's no caliphate nowadays. The idea is pile up a lot of grievances and blame the other guy and then anything you do is essentially justified. And so he's uh, listing a lot of grievances against America, including support for Israel. And this resonates with these people who've been so thoroughly propagandized in the same way. So for people who have not read it, uh, what does it say? Because initially, because I went back and read it, but then when I initially saw the writings, people were saying, look, look at the things he's citing. He's talking about killing children and all he wants is to be left alone. I'm like, well, I mean, if that was true, then I guess not so bad. But then you actually read the letter itself and it's not exactly the way people are trying to portray it. So what does it say exactly? Yeah, you're quite right. That's a very important point. Uh, It's not at all all we want is to be left alone. He is, as I explained, piling up a lot of grievances, saying the Americans did this, the Americans have done that, that the Americans have been oppressing the Palestinians, that they put troops on the sacred soil of Saudi Arabia, the kingdom of the two holy places, that they put troops elsewhere, Somalia, and uh, he doesn't like any of this because he considers this to be Muslim land and the American troops to be non-Muslim, which of course they mostly are. And he says, the first thing we are calling you to is Islam. And that is the clue that he's not just going to leave us alone if we don't have the troops where he doesn't want them. The idea of calling us to Islam 
is in response to his assessment of America as immoral and decadent, and of course he's got a point in that, but at the same time what he wants to do is impose this oppressive system of Sharia which enforces morality by terror, which is a caricature of genuine virtue. You're not choosing the good, you're just too afraid to get out of line because you'll be to have your hand amputated or you'll be stoned to death or you'll be beheaded or thrown off a building or whatever. And so uh, the young people don't understand that Islam is not the benign religion of peace that they've been taught, but is a system that is based in its essence on terror, on being too afraid to disobey. And that's not really something we should be applauding the spread of as free people or certainly as Christians. Now, many of these young people are seeing this and they're saying, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. But uh, some of the people are saying things like, well, you know, we I, I don't support Osama bin Laden. I don't support what he did, uh, but you got to hand it to him. He, he's got a he's got some good points there. Uh, do we have to hand it to Osama bin Laden, uh, Robert Spencer? No, absolutely not. I mean, to say that he's got good points as if he's the first one to point out that there's a lot of immorality in the West or that American interventionism is not always wise. There are plenty of people saying that who never flew planes into buildings and aren't advocating an oppressive system that uh, would subjugate non-Muslims as inferiors under its hegemony. And so we don't have to go to Osama bin Laden for these assessments. Right, exactly. And I've, I've I was, uh, been saying this for a while. I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm generally anti-war because I think that um, we have to obey the just war doctrine when we fight. And I think that majority of the time we fail to do so. And so I'm very much anti-war. And so I, I mean, I sympathize with that, that idea, but at the same time, the guy obviously does not agree with me because he wants to fly uh, planes into buildings. He wants to kill American citizens. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I do want to go into this a little bit further and talk about the relationship of why on earth so many people like these homosexuals, these transgenders, these uh, people who would definitely not be loved by Osama bin Laden are all of a sudden on his side. So we're going to talk about that with Robert Spencer when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Catholic Drive Time right after this. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time. Don't go anywhere. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate in plenty of time for you to get to confession before mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's so good to be on with you today. We're with Robert Spencer. We're talking with him with Jihad Watch. Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch. Check it out. And we're talking about Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Now, many people, especially of a older vintage, and by older vintage, I mean over the age of 30, uh, they would probably be like, oh, I remember 9-11. That was horrible, but, you know, it was great to see um, America unify for a moment uh, for people to all be on the same page, even if it was just for a little while. And then Osama bin Laden released his letter, and you may remember that happening. People saying, wow, this is terrible. Look at him saying that he wants to convert all of people to to Islam. He wants to enforce Sharia law and all these things. And you may remember that and think, yeah, that was crazy. That was all bad. But this younger generation, Gen Z, seems to have, well, not seems to have. We don't. I'm, I'm under Gen Z. I qualify. And we we were not there. We don't remember it. We don't remember the things that happened. We don't remember the unification. All of those things that happened, we were not there for. And so now people are seeing it for the first time after the heavy indoctrination through the school system, through all these different things. And now they're seeing Osama bin Laden's letter and they're like, oh, my goodness, this guy is correct. And so Robert Spencer is joining us to talk about this. Uh, Robert, what? why on earth do you think these young people, my generation, is, is supportive of this whenever the, we, the video I showed you, some of those people were clearly homosexuals. Some of them, I think, looked a little bit like they might be transgender. Um, and they're very much on the left. Things that he's calling for for Sharia law, and Sharia law would not allow for their lifestyle. So why on earth are we seeing these people support Osama bin Laden? Well, first, Adrian, we have to make sure that people understand, yes, those people you're referring to in this video, they would be killed in a Sharia state. Osama bin Laden would want them killed, may even would would have killed them personally. And so how on earth could they support this? They don't know that. They don't believe it. Not long after 9-11, Islamic advocacy groups and their leftist allies in the United States very skillfully shifted the narrative so that the victims of 9-11 were the Muslims who were subjected to alleged Islamophobia after the attacks. You could see that especially in 2021, when the 20th anniversary of the attacks was noted, and the establishment media was full of stories all about how there was so much Islamophobia after 9-11. And there was nary a story, I didn't find a single one, speaking about what the belief system of the attackers was, what they wanted to do, or referring, for that matter, to Osama bin Laden's letter to America that explained all that. And so these people have grown up going to school, hearing about Islamophobia and how terrible it is to be supposedly bigoted against Muslims, which includes to note the ideology that motivated the 9-11 attacks. And so they don't know that they would be killed if they went to a Sharia state. 
they don't believe the people who tell them because they've been taught that they're bigoted, racist, Islamophobes. And so they're completely naive and out to lunch. Their balloon never lands. They think that they're, they're uh, on the side of the oppressed people, and that's all that they care about. Now, okay, so this brings up a good question then, because it seems as though there is this ginormous propaganda mill pushing for uh, this position of Osama bin Laden among young people. And I think uh, here's another reason, parents, if you still haven't been convinced to get rid of your kid's smartphone, to get rid of TikTok, then this should be another reason on the list of reasons. Uh, Why do you think... They are trying to propagandize people in this way when it seems as though if they got what they wanted in terms of having Muslims run the country, essentially, they would lose all the ground they gained in the left and all their leftist positions. They seem completely contradictory. So why would they propagandize this? Yeah, you're quite right. And I don't think that they realize either because the leftist elites who are responsible for this propaganda, they generally are atheists and they do not understand the religious impulse. They don't understand or appreciate the power of religion. And I mean religion in general, not just Islam. And so when they hear that uh, Hamas is throwing homosexuals off buildings or something like that, they generally think, well, that's just the extremists and we'll deal with the moderates who don't believe in any of that. Now, the fact that Islam teaches those things, they don't care about, because a lot of them are like Joe Biden, who says he's a Catholic, but completely disregards any of the teachings of Catholicism when he's making public policy and actually fights actively against many of those teachings. And so they figure they'll just find the Muslims who do that. There aren't any, but they don't know that. And so they like Islam because it also lends itself to authoritarianism. Muhammad said, obey your ruler, even if he is an Ethiopian whose head is like a raisin. Now, most people, when they quote that, they say, see what a racist Muhammad was? And that's a valid point. But I think more importantly is the fact that he's saying, obey your ruler no matter what, even if he's some outlandish person in in Muhammad's view. And so... The idea that you obey the ruler lends itself very well to the left's authoritarianism and desire to stamp out dissent. And so they like Islam and they want to encourage it while they don't like Christianity with its emphasis on the dignity of the individual human being, which would lend itself toward actually, in some cases, a rejection of a tyrannical authority. Right. And I think this is important to keep in mind because where people will be engaged in the discussion on the Israel Hamas conflict and the Israel Palestine conflict. And I don't want to dive into to that too much. But one thing that I just see pop up quite often is that, oh, if we just negotiated with the Muslims and of course, I want to make a distinction between the Palestinian Christians who are there, or is a different category entirely. But the the Muslims there, I mean, people say, okay, what if we just negotiate with them? And then they would, we give them what they want, and they'll stop. But this doesn't seem to be in continuity with what the Quran actually teaches. People are saying, oh, there's just the extremists, and there's the moderates, like you were mentioning earlier. Why is this a erroneous view? 
Well, the Quran itself says, for example, in chapter 8, verse 39, fight them until persecution is no more and religion is all for Allah. Now, if what they were saying or assuming were true, that we just leave them alone and we give them what they want and then they won't bother us, then that's fight them until persecution is no more. And so that seems reasonable until you read the rest of the verse and religion is all for Allah. If they have, if you have in the core teachings of Islam, the idea that you have to fight the non-believers until religion is all for Allah, that's much more than just, oh, give them what they want and they'll be satisfied, because what they want is the submission of the whole world. And so they're just going to keep coming. And Mahmoud Az-Zahar, one of the leaders of Hamas, actually said this recently, that once we destroy Israel, then we'll go into Europe and destroy Christianity, which, of course, is well underway already. Right, right. And I think that's the the kind of the... I, it's, I'd be surprised if any of the people who say they read the letter actually read it, because if they did and they agreed with it, you would assume that you would see all these people converting to Islam. However, you know, I did that saying that just made me spark another uh, thing that I saw, which was there were some pretty prominent um, TikTokers who did convert to Islam and there were very promiscuous women who were posting very promiscuous things, and they started posting videos of them in hijabs. And I was really surprised by that. Do you know of anything like this happening, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I see a groundswell, and I think that there are a lot of people who see that American society has become so immoral. And they think that Islam is the only thing that stands against it as an alternative. And this is in part the failure of the churches to pose a viable alternative to the decadence of the secular culture. And there's been, I think, far too much in the church of people thinking we have to be like the secular culture in order to attract people, when what would really attract people would be being different from the secular culture. Islam offers that. Right now, Islam is in the ascendancy as a result. And I think ultimately this is rather like in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament when God says that the uh, his people are so sinful, he's going to bring the Babylonians, a wicked nation, against them to punish them. And I think, well, we're seeing that kind of thing in the, in the offing again now. Now, if this happened today, if a 9-11 happened today, what do you think the reaction would be from Americans? I hear the rumors that America was so unified after 9-11. I struggle to believe that based off of what I see today. But I, I can't imagine that happening today. What are your thoughts if, if there was a 9-11 today? What would happen? America was immensely unified after 9-11, but it only lasted for maybe a few weeks. And then the divisions began to show again. America is far more divided today than it was before 9-11. And so I think that if the there were such a catastrophic attack now, which there very well could be, or something even worse, then many Americans would immediately say, well, we had it coming, and they're right, and we should give in to them. Mm. I feel like yeah, that's probably true. I mean, just seeing the reaction of people and seeing like the in this in the letter from Obama Osama, Obama uh Osama bin Laden the from this letter it, it states that american citizens are guilty and therefore are combatants from their perspective uh, with just about a minute left in our conversation why why did what is that what are you trying to say there well what he has to do is justify killing civilians 
because killing civilians is technically against Islamic law. So if he can argue that American civilians are in, are complicit in the alleged crimes of the United States, then he can lawfully kill them according to Islamic law. That's what that's all about. But then when uh, witless Gen Zers read that, they don't have any context for it, and they don't understand what they're reading. And so they just think, well, yeah, the whole nation is guilty of all these crimes because we haven't thrown out the, the, the supposedly bad rulers who committed these crimes. It's a society-wide malady. And in a certain sense, there's some, there's some truth to that. Of course, we have the rulers we deserve, but at the same time, it does not change the just war theory, which does indeed forbid the killing of civilians, regardless of their political views or what they may have supported or not supported. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree there. I think um, many people make this argument all the time to justify taking out civilians to say, oh, but they elected their ruler. Therefore, we should wipe them all out because they are complicit in it. And I'm like, no, that's not good. Not a good attitude. Now, Robert, where can people stay in touch with you? Where can people find what you're putting out? Yeah, I'm at jihadwatch.org, which is the only news site that covers jihad activity. We're very busy these days, updated many times daily with news and commentary about jihad activity. I have 27 books you can find at Amazon and elsewhere. The newest is Empire of God, How the Byzantines Saved Civilization. Thank you very much, Robert Spencer. God bless you. God love you and have a blessed day. You too. Thank you. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. Don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about the prophecies on the coming chastisement. Coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. More Catholic Drive Time right after this. Our family had been going through crisis. Little by little, we just found ourselves drifting completely away. I was afraid to go back. I mean, I cried the first time I received the sacraments again cried because I was back and because I had allowed God to become a part of me again. It's united our family. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you know what are the two most common questions after attending a non-Catholic church service? Answer, how is the preaching and how is the worship? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, evaluation of worship? That's odd. Who's evaluating worship? Well, here's what really is meant by that. How is the music, the singing, and the audible response of the people? And if that were important, wouldn't that be our Lord's decision anyway? Secondly, Catholic teaching. Worship is fundamentally not tied to music and song, though it can be so Supported by music and song, the 2,000-year history of Catholic worship is primarily about the representing of Jesus' unbloody, timeless sacrifice on every Catholic altar. It is that moment when the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' own body and blood. We then participate in that worship by bringing our own sacrifice of self, whether sorrow or praise. And thirdly, my take, the only evaluation that should be considered after a church or a mass is the evaluation of heart and actions. That is, did we grow in obedience to the royal law of love? Help us, Father. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted in my 20s to a Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. 
We are a young and diverse generation, helping those in need and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God, who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories. If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be on with you today. It's always good to be here with you. We just wrapped up a great conversation with Robert Spencer talking about the Amer- letter to America from Osama bin Laden. And don't put a B in there. I, I just I smashed in don't Osama throw a B in there. and Ben and I accidentally said Obama. That's <laughs> <laughs> called a um Freudian slip when you say one thing but mean your mother. I mean another. <laughs> uh, but too meta. Too meta. Too meta. Yeah. <laughs> people, some people who don't know anything about Freud are going to be like, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, but it's okay. It's okay. That's uh, it was a good. It was a good interview. It was a good conversation, especially for um, Gen Zers. I think uh, and parents of Gen Zers, people who have kids who are Gen Zers. The older folk, and by older I mean like over the age of 30, just don't understand Gen Z. And I guess it's a perpetual problem, right? People, the kids are always like, Mom, you don't understand me. Um, You're right, son. I do not. I don't understand why you do the things you do. Yeah, and I guess that's a perpetual problem of of adolescence, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're just different. Different experiences, different. Everything's just different. And so it's. I think it's good to try to point out what's happening with this generation mm-hmm. and what we're taking in. I mean, parents seem to think we have a normalcy bias. And that is to say, we expect things to be the same as it was the day before. And so when things are not, we immediately try to pretend that they are. And we have to just be shaken awake and recognize it's not the same. And that's what I try to do sometimes. It's like, hey, guys, uh, what happened whenever you were a kid and when you were there? That's not what we experience. That's not what my generation is experiencing. And you got to be aware of that because Gen Zers, the youngest Gen Zer is 13 now. And most Gen Zers are voting now. So we actually have a effect on society now. And it's going to either be good or it's going to be bad. So let's be aware of it and address these issues. That's what I say anyway. Uh, speaking of the issues, though, I came across this sermon for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, which was, uh, I believe, two weeks ago, or last, either the last Sunday or the Sunday before that. So it was about two weeks ago. And I came across this sermon on the coming chastisement, the prophecies of the coming chastisement. It was a sermon from a Father Rene Trincado, Father Rene Trincado, who is, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, uh, but he is a Brazilian priest who gave a sermon. And it was translated from Portuguese into English. I don't know anything about this Father Rene, um, but the sermon was really good. So I figured I'll share it with you and I'll talk about it. Uh, Father Rene says, in St. Thomas's Catena Aurea, we find in the commentary on Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27, these words, quote, Then our Lord will command the winds, that is, the devils 
the ones that stir up the persecutions, and that he will give a great peace for the church in the world, end quote. So, first of all, what are the winds? Why is he saying the winds are the devils? Well, see, for the longest time, it was understood that there were the demons of the air, the demons of the spirit. And those demons of the air, uh, some would say, St. Thomas would say, and many others, that the demons of the air were those demons who are most interacting with humankind. And they're the ones who did not really side with the devil, per se, but they kind of played the middle ground. They didn't want to stand for God, but they didn't want to stand for Satan. And what does our Lord say? Uh, Be hot or cold, the lukewarm will spew from my mouth. Our Lord says, you are either with me or you are against me. So if you're not with our Lord, then you are with Satan. And that's what happens to the demons of the air. So that's what he's talking about here. He goes on and says, one can ask these questions. Will this command put an end to the present day torment that assails the church and the world? Will God desire to install a great and sudden peace? We present these prophecies old and recent as a possible response. Our Lady of Fatima in 1917 said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me and will be converted. And a period of peace will be granted to the world. Our Lady of La Salette in France in 1846 said, Then Jesus Christ, by an act of his justice and his great mercy toward the righteous, will command his angels to put all his enemies to death. At one blow, the persecutors of the church of Jesus Christ and all men given to sin will perish, and the earth will become like a desert. Then there will be peace. You see that there is a a pattern, and we'll see the pattern over and over again as we go through some of these other prophecies. There will be a great chastisement, a great pain, where the earth will become like a desert. There'll be great pain in the world, and then there will be peace. So many people who claim that we are living in the reign of Mary, we're living in a period of peace. Well, first I have to ask, has it got to the point where we have been punished? Yeah, things are bad. But they're morally bad. Things have to get better first. And how does that happen? Well, it has to be through punishment. And how does God punish the world? Well, Augustine says he punishes the world through war, plague, and famine. Our Lady of Akita in Japan, 1973, said, The Father will inflict a terrible punishment on all humanity. It will be a punishment graver than the deluge. The deluge is the um, the flood, Noah, and Noah's Ark. One such as has never been seen before. Fire will fall from the sky and will wipe out a great part of humanity. This is important to note because fire will fall from the sky. Many people interpreted this to be nuclear warfare. Will it be nuclear warfare? I don't know. Uh, Some climatologists have talked about how we are overdue for meteor strikes. We haven't had a major meteor strike in a long time, so maybe it'll be fire from heaven that way. Maybe it'll be something supernatural, something that we don't foresee. I think often our predictions turn out to be wrong, and they we try to interpret it in different ways. Uh, but maybe it's just going to be literal fire, like the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the through Egypt. St. Bridget in 1303 to 1373, she talked about, quote, 40 years before the year 2000, the devil will be let loose for a period to tempt men. When all will seem lost, God himself will suddenly bring all evil to an end. Well, that's really interesting. 
St. Bridget in the 1300s, saying 40 years before the year 2000. So that would be what, 1960s? Then the devil will be let loose for a period to tempt men. And then when all will seem lost, God himself will suddenly bring all evil to an end. So I would ask you, does all seem lost now? I would say no. I don't see, I don't think we've gotten to the point yet. We're getting close, I would say. We haven't got to the point, well, it's, it's so bad. But it's important to see these prophecies as we go through these because it gives us a hope, right? It gives us a hope to say, look, all will seem lost, but it's not lost because God himself will come and bring an end to the evil. And so therefore we know, we know the ending of the story. This is why our Lord revealed to the apostles what was going to happen. He tells them, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. So that way, when it did happen, they're not going to be like, how could this happen? How am I being persecuted? I'm a follower of Christ. How did this happen? Well, they won't be surprised because they're going to say, our Lord told us this was going to happen. We expected this. So why should I be surprised? Why should I fear? Why should I despair? Our Lord said it would happen. St. Vincent Ferrer in the 14th century said, a time will come such as no one has seen until then. It will cause a great chaos, such as never was or ever thought of, except for the one that will take place at the final judgment. The church shall shed tears, but the sorrow shall be turned into joy. The King of kings and Lord of lords will purify and regenerate everything. Venerable Bartholomew Halthauser in the 17th century said, the omnipotent then will intervene with an admirable blow that no one can imagine for three days. The earth will be submerged into complete darkness as before in Egypt. The exterminating angel will cut down all those who rose up with satanic hatred against the church. Notice here. He's saying, yeah, there's going to be a three days of darkness, but don't be surprised that this is possible because our Lord did it back in Egypt with the plagues. So it can happen again. St. Gaspar de Buffalo in the 19th century said those who survived the three days of darkness and horror will believe themselves to be alone on the earth because the ground will be covered with cadavers. Father Bernard Maria Clausi in the 19th century said things will reach the apex and when everything seems lost, God will transform all things with a flick of the eye as from morning to night. A terrible uproar will come directly against the impious. It would be completely new and terrible chastisement, such as the world has never seen. This chastisement will be felt throughout the entire world and will be so terrible that the survivors will imagine themselves to be the only ones living. This punishment will be instantaneous, but terrible. Venerable Father Jacinto Coma in the 19th century said, Providence has reserved an unexpected means That will do in a single stroke what would have taken a very long time in the normal course of things. Sister Maria des Valles in the 17th century said, Because there are three deluges sent to destroy sin. The first deluge is that of the Father, which was the deluge of water. He's referring to, she's referring to the, the flood. The second is the deluge of the Son, which was the deluge of blood. The third is the Holy Spirit, which will be a deluge of fire, but it will be sad like the others because it will counter much resistance and a large quantity of green wood will be difficult to burn. Two have already passed, but the third is pending. And just as the first two were predicted long before they arrived, so also will be the latter. Only God knows the time. 
Venerable Isabel Canori, uh, that's Elizabeth Canori Mora, in the 18th century, she said, I saw the world in complete revolution. Order and justice no longer reigned. The seven capital sins were raised in triumph. Sounds like today. Think about how we celebrate Pride Month, gluttony, how we celebrate all the seven deadly sins. She goes on, for every side injustice, fraud, debauchery, and every type of iniquity spread. All the faithful who preserved in their heart the faith of Jesus Christ saw themselves freed from the horrible chastisement. Suddenly, a violent and impetuous wind rose that sounded like the roar of a lion and was heard all over the earth. Fear and terror struck both man and beast. The power of hell will be used to exterminate those impious and heretical persons who desire to overthrow the church and destroy her to her very foundations. But the Lord will despise their artifices and through an effect of his mighty hand will punish those impious blasphemers, permitting the infernal powers to come out from hell. Innumerable legions of devils will overrun the earth and shall execute the orders of divine justice by causing terrible calamities and disaster. They will attack everything and cause injury to families, properties, cities, villages. Nothing on earth shall be spared. God will permit those mendacious ones to be chastised, giving them a rapid and terrible death because they voluntarily submitted themselves to the internal, the infernal power, forming a pact with it against divine justice. Think about it. Those who would form a pact with the devil is what she's talking about here. Then I saw a dark and frightful cave of fire where a multitude of devils were issuing forth under the form of man beasts. They came to infest the earth, leaving ruin and blood everywhere. Those evil spirits plundered the places where God was outraged, blasphemed, and treated in a sacrilegious way. The profane places will be pulled down and destroyed, and nothing but ruins will remain of them. Now, there's much more that could be said, and much more. Maybe we'll revisit this sermon and finish the sermon at a later date. But what's important to note about this? The fact that here, especially we're reading the terrible, terrible vision of Elizabeth Kenori Mora, that it's those who are sacrilegious, those who blasphemed, those who had profane places. So what's the simple solution? Live in a state of grace. Be holy. Start working on your vices. Get rid of your vices. Those seven deadly sins, don't be tied to them. Don't have those reigning in your life. If you cleanse them from your life, then you can, in fact, survive the coming chastisement. The coming chastisement will come. It's been prophesied by all the saints. And uh, later in the sermon, we will revisit it. It talks about the signs from Holy Scripture. And so it's important to keep this in mind as we progress in the decadent society, but have hope that Our Lady promised that in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. Our Lady said it, and Our Lady does not lie. And so we have the hope of the triumph of the immaculate heart, the reign of Mary. And speaking of the coming chastisement, fear and trembling coming up in just one moment. Call now, 877-757-9424. We're giving away prizes. You could win, 877-757-9424. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that we should stop opposing things like abortion and homosexual unions because there's simply nothing we can do about it? You can't prevent that stuff. It's inevitable. So just accept it. 
Well, G.K. Chesterton says the other word for inevitability is impenitence. We have let ourselves be dominated by the notion that there's no turning back. This idea is rooted in materialism and the denial of free will. Now this modern refusal to undo what has been done is not only an intellectual fault, it is a moral fault also. It is not merely our mental inability to understand the mistake we have made, it's also our spiritual refusal to admit that we have made a mistake. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image, that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life, because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could be a winner. All you have to do is pick up that phone and dial that number, 877 757 9424. The first person to call in will be our winner. And here's a pro tip for you this week. If you pick up that phone and dial 877-757-9424, this week, your chances of winning are even higher. Because this Thursday and Friday, we're going to have pre-recorded shows because of Thanksgiving. So the chances of you winning are amazing. Now, I know many parents are not in the car today because... They have a week off for school. Um, but if you call in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's three days. So the chances of you winning are, I'm trying to do math in my head, and that's always a bad idea, like 40% better, a 40% better chance of winning than it is normally. Uh, some mathematician out there is like, Adrian, that math does not work. Uh, but nonetheless, that number, 877-757-9424. Now, you may be asking, how do you play? What does this work exactly? Well, here's how it works. I have in front of me three questions, three Catholic trivia questions. And the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. Instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. Rudy's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. This week we are giving away. Now, you got to read between the lines here. All right. Sometimes I do it really well. Other times, not really. I'm just going to say something. And if you've been listening to Catholic Drive Time for a long time, you'll understand what I mean when I say foreshadowing. Mm. We are going to be giving away a coffee cup of divine providence. Now, you might be wondering, well, foreshadowing, what do you mean? Well, I'm kind of letting you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There's something kind of in the works here. And you're not going to be able to get this coffee cup of divine providence anymore. You catch my meaning. We still got a couple more to give away, and it's going to be signed by yours truly and Adrian Fonseca. 
And if you'd like, we can get Taylor to sign it as well. And you're going to be able to put this either on your shelf or actually enjoy your coffee in it. I'm not giving you the actual coffee cup of divine providence because that's a relic, but I'm going to give you a replica that's been touched to it. So it's like, uh, what is it, the third class relic? Uh, totally, 100%. Or, yeah, because we do use it. Relic. So maybe it'd be a second class relic and it's going to take, make your coffee just taste 80% better. If I lick it, does it become a second class relic? Uh, I think a second class is one that you've used. Yeah. So yeah, you get an extra trivia question today. There you go. There you go. All right. So if you'd like to win that, that number, 877-757-9424, make sure you write that number down because you're going to want to call in this week. Your odds are amazing. Uh, but joining us right now is Aldell. Aldo. Aldo. A-L-D-L. Aldo. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. Aldo, uh, where are you calling in from? Uh, Houston area. Houston area. So are you the heir to the uh, famous men's shoe store? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, that would be, he's like, then I'd have a little bit more cash in the bank. Uh, Aldo, where are you calling, where are you uh, driving into this morning? I'm uh, I'm doing my daily walk. Doing your daily walk. Praise be to God. Now, Aldo, um, being, we're in the Houston area. What church do you go to? Uh, St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney. Hey, That's right, right down, down the, the street. Yeah, very good. I go there all the time for um, adoration. So there you go, folks. That's awesome. Awesome, Aldo. Then you are familiar. Are you familiar with the game? Do you know how to play? Yes. Perfect. And you know you have to be careful because Rudy <laughs> can be tricky sometimes. Are you ready to jump into it? Yes. All right. Uh, Rudy, first question for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the question. Be careful. This question could be tricky. What is demonic obsession? Demonic obsession. Obsession. Some might think, well, it's, uh, you know, these guys, they're obsessed with metal music. They're obsessed with all the Mm. symbology. No, I'm not talking about that. Oh, not those people. Demonic obsession is the state of one who suffers at the hands of the devil, not with them physically being controlled by the devil, but just continually abused by the devil. That's what it was referred to as demonic obsession. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So your answer is what? (laughs) The state of one Uh who suffers more or less. Okay. Continual abuse. Okay. By the devil. Not not by them physically being controlled by the devil, but just by being abused by him. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm understanding what you're putting down. Yeah. All right, Aldo. The question on the board is, what is demonic obsession? 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, the, well, Rudy says, the state of one who suffers more or less continual abuse with the devil, but typically without the devil actually controlling their body. What say you, Aldo? Uh, our- I'll say yes. Uh, I agree with Rudy. You agree with Rudy? I don't know why someone would say that, but we're going to find out. <laughs> Survey says that is correct. Uh, can you believe it? Agreeing with Rudy worked out for you. I oh. agree with Rudy. Wow. He just made my day, Aldo. I, Finally, I, somebody who agrees with me. I try to avoid it as much as possible. <laughs> uh, typically, I try to uh, be contrarian to everything Rudy says. <laughs> Um, but in this case, he is in fact correct. I have to admit. All right, Aldo, are you ready for question number two? 
Let's do it. Question number two for you, Rudy. Um, you were once a Protestant, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you weren't. No. Conversation starters with Adrian Second. <laughs> you were once a Protestant, right? You were once a heretic, right? Uh, Rudy, the question is, what main event occurred in the third chapter of Genesis? And right. now, when I say main event, I don't mean the arcade place. I'm talking about like the most important thing that happened in the third chapter of Genesis, which you've read. Right? Of course. Of course. Of course. Being of course. a Protestant, I read the Bible right. many times. The main event in chapter three, specifically, so we're getting really like specific about it. Chapter mm. three chapter was the main three. event. And in order for us to understand this, we have to get a little bit Ignatian. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Just imagine you're in paradise. Okay, I'm imagining. There's all kinds of animals there. Lots of animals, seeing them. And you tell your wife, Eve, hey, I need you to go get eggs. And she's uh-huh. like, from which animal? And you say, you know, the feathered one. She's mm. like, which feathered one? And it turns into an argument, right? Because you're like, you know what I'm talking about, Eve. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. after the argument, Adam realized he had to name the animals. Oh. And that was the main event of chapter three. He what had to sit down with a pen and paper. And he was like, okay, this one's a chicken. That one's a goose. This one's a green heron. Uh, the other one is an anhinga. Why do you know so many bird names? <laughs> Go figure. Okay. All right. Uh <laughs> What did I take away from this? That Rudy knows a lot of birds. Aldo, 15 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Uh, how many bird names do you know, Aldo? No, no, that's not the question. The question is, what main event occurred in the third chapter of Genesis? Uh, Rudy says the naming of the animals. Uh, what say you, Aldo, from Houston, Texas? I'll say he's wrong. I okay. disagree. Are you sure? I typically disagree as well. So let's find out if that's a good decision. Hey, hey I just heard a bird. That is, I can hear it. The bird was offended. The bird's like, no, <laughs> Wait, name me, name me. <laughs> now that you're correct, Aldo, the correct answer is the fall of man. The fall. What kind of bird is that? Is that a, Rudy, identify that bird based on the sound. Uh, that sounds like a blue jay. It sounds like a blue jay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. All right, Aldo, you're doing great. Two for two. Are you ready for question number three? Let's do it. Question number three, Rudy. The question is, if the wine has become vinegar or has otherwise spoiled, is the sacrament of the Eucharist valid? Man, I hate when that happens. It happens to me all the time. Pop the cork off and you're like, (sighs) smells like vinegar. It would be invalid. It would be invalid. If the sacristan put that vinegar into the, into the, uh, the cruet, Mm. And he put it up on the altar. Mm -hmm. It would be an invalid mass. Oof. That's rough. And the punishment for a sacristan who does that, 40 lashes. 40 lashes. 40 lashes. Okay. Good thing that wasn't part of the question. Don't ever do that. Um, Let's see. I'm glad that wasn't a uh, punishment that I had to receive. 40 lashes. But let's find out. You've never done that, have you? No, no. I've never done that. I've never even... I've never even seen wine turn to vinegar. I've never had <laughs> had wine long enough for it to turn into vinegar. All right, Aldo, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, if the wine has become vinegar or otherwise has spoiled, is the sacrament of the Eucharist valid? Rudy says, of course not. It has to be wine. Vinegar is not wine. Uh, what say you, Aldo? I'll say he's right. All right. You're going to say he's right. All right. Survey says... Correct! Way to go, Aldo! I'm thinking the birds were whispering to him the answers. I think that's what it was. 
Uh, what kind of bird is that? I don't know. Is that a cockatoo? A crow? Uh, there you go. All right, Aldo. You did great. Three for three. How do you feel? Pretty good. Especially uh, today's my anniversary. And your anniversary uh, of yeah, your for your uh, for your your marriage anniversary. Yes. Praise be to God. Hey, Way to congrats. go. Congratulations. Uh, what? How many years? Nineteen. Nineteen years. Nineteen years. Hey, wow. gracias. Well, Aldo, we'll be. I'll offer up a rosary for your you and your bride. Thank you. I have a question about the relics. Yes, sir. So go ahead. My, if I was uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Rome and uh, got the wedding blessed by Pope John II, mm-hmm. uh, the Pope. And I touched him. So, what, is, what would that be? Uh, would that make me a relic too? Or? <laughs> no, Third unfortunately, class. unfortunately, yeah, no. you can't become a relic. But if you touched something to him like a rosary or something that touched him then anything touched to a first class relic or second class relic would be a third class relic if he owned something then it would be a second class relic like his his body oh, okay. or product no, wait a minute though wait, he would have had to time. be a relic yeah, stick at with the us time. stick with us for the after show and we'll talk about it more uh so hop on our social media feeds and we'll talk more about relics in the after show god bless you god love you we're out of time so if you want more catholic drive time hop on our social media feeds look up catholic drive time on youtube facebook rumble and you can ask a question and we interact with you there but if not We will talk to you tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the GRN and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Salt Community. This morning we celebrate Monday of the 33rd week of Ordinary Time. This Mass is being offered for those listening on Guadalupe Radio Network, our online viewers, and for those here present. Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia, praise the everlasting King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words 
in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and to you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you, for it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Maccabees. From the descendants of Alexander's officers, there sprang a sinful offshoot, Antiochus Epiphanes, son of King Antiochus, once a hostage at Rome. He became king in the year 137 of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days there appeared in Israel men who were breakers of the law, and they seduced many people, saying, Let us go and make an alliance with the Gentiles all around us. Since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us. The proposal was agreeable. Some from among the people promptly went to the king, and he authorized them to introduce the way of living of the Gentiles. Thereupon they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem according to the Gentile custom. They covered over the mark of their circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They allied themselves with the Gentiles and sold themselves to wrongdoing. Then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, each abandoning his particular customs. All the Gentiles conformed to the command of the king, and many children of Israel were in favor of his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. On the fifteenth day of the month of Chislev, in the year 145, the king erected the horrible abomination upon the altar of burnt offerings, and in the surrounding cities of Judah they built pagan altars. They also burned incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. Any scrolls of the law which they found, they tore up and burnt. Whoever was found with the scroll of the covenant and whoever observed the law was condemned to death by royal decree. But many in Israel were determined and resolved in their hearts not to eat anything unclean. They preferred to die rather than to be defiled with unclean food or to profane the Holy Covenant, and they did die. Terrible affliction was upon Israel. The Word of the Lord. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. Indignation seizes me because of the wicked 
who forsake your law. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. Though the snares of the wicked are twined about me, your law I have not forgotten. Give, Give me, me life, life, O Lord, and, and I, will I will do, do your, your commands. commands. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may keep your precepts. Give, Give me life, life, O Lord, and, and I, I will do, do your, your commands. I am attacked by malicious persecutors who are far from your law. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. Far from sinners is salvation, because they seek not your statutes. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. I beheld the apostates with loathing, because they kept not to your promise. Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. Hallelujah, ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Alleluia. 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 The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. The people walking in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Then Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. Jesus told him, Have sight, your faith has saved you. He immediately received his sight and followed him, giving glory to God. When they saw this, all the people gave praise to God. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Gospel from Luke, we hear about the blind man on the road to Jericho calling out to Jesus and saying, I want to see. For us, it is a reminder that spiritual blindness is something which can enter into all of our lives, and we, as we do at the beginning of every Mass, are called to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to see myself as I am so that I can grow in holiness and I can do and see what your will is. Remember one time in my life where this gospel passage kind of comes to light. I remember my parents came from communist Czechoslovakia and went to Canada. As a result, we kind of, in fleeing communism, weren't able to be around most of our family growing up. Our grandparents were able to come and visit us a couple of times. And the last time my grandmother came to visit us in Canada, I would have been 11 years old, and right before she left to go back on the plane again, I said, Grandma, I have a secret for you. One day I'm going to be a priest. 
I didn't see her again for 13 years, like 1994. I had just finished my fourth year of engineering studies. Communism fell in Czechoslovakia in 1989, and so it was my first time going back there. And I went to my grandmother's place. I knocked on the door. It was also where my aunt lived. She pulled me aside immediately into the kitchen, and she said, do you remember the secret you told me the last time I saw you? I said, no, I don't remember. And she said, you told me you were going to be a priest. Is it still true? And coming from my grandma in particular, it had a lot of meaning because she suffered a lot for her faith. Her brother was a Franciscan priest who was in jail for 12 years under the Communist Party unjustly. And so I knew she was a holy woman. And I told her I don't remember, and I think maybe my life's going in a different direction. But her asking me that question... It really caused me to stop and to pause in my life. And I thought to myself, what is it that I saw as an 11-year-old boy that perhaps I've lost here along the way? What is it now that maybe I'm not seeing clearly what it is that God is calling me to do? And I instantly recognized that part of it was a call to conversion. When sin is a part of our life, even if it's nothing all that major, it does blind us from being able to see what God's will is. In a way, her question to me and her reminder really was an invitation to convert, to strive to be more virtuous, so that I would be able to see more clearly what God's will and what God's plan is for my life. In many ways in today's gospel, this is really what we're hearing. Blindness, spiritual blindness, prevents us from being able to see the areas of our life where we need to allow the light of the Holy Spirit to continue to purify us. And when we're blinded by sin, one of the number one consequences and detriments is it's an impediment to doing God's will. It's an impediment to being able to see what God's will is for our life and to be able to authentically pursue it. It's interesting in the gospel that when the blind man is first crying out, the crowd tries to prevent him. They try to stop him from making a scene or from crying out to Jesus. And this we know too in our own life is sometimes are in our surroundings. It's easy to be kind of going along with the stream and a call to conversion, a call to move away from sin, sometimes also is met by resistance from the path that we're on in life. And we have to be willing to step aside and to say the voice of the crowd cannot dictate how I'm going to live my life or how I'm going to be able to see and follow God's will in my life. My brothers and sisters, in this last week of ordinary time, as we are uh, approaching the conclusion of the liturgical year, we are invited once again to ask the Lord for sight to be able to see ourselves as God sees us, to know and to see those areas where we need further purification, healing, and sanctification, and to beg of the Lord his mercy that he would guide us to be able to see our faults so that we can continue on the path of conversion and truly see and follow God's will in our life. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders, that they would be guided by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in their decisions. 
to enact just laws that would safeguard and promote the dignity of human life at every phase. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith, and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. For our family, friends, benefactors, for those joining us on radio and online, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life, we pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit to the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Grant, O Lord, we pray that what we offer in the sight of your majesty may obtain for us the grace of being devoted to you and gain us the prize of everlasting happiness through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for although you have no need of our praise, Yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift. Since our praises add nothing to your greatness, but profit us for salvation through Christ our Lord. And so in company with the choirs of angels, we praise you, and with joy we proclaim Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, 
Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread. And giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, 
in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine. Forever, where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth, and where the verdant pastures grow. With food celestial feeding. Let us pray. We have partaken of the gifts of this sacred mystery, humbly imploring, O Lord, that what your Son commanded us to do in memory of him may bring us growth in charity through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Sing of Mary, pure and lowly, Virgin Mother undefiled. Sing of God's own Son, most holy, who became her little child, fairest child of fairest mother, God the Lord who came to earth, word made flesh our very brother, takes our nature by his birth. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
Catholic Connection is a co-production